the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yeah, you may be going through a tough time. These may be difficult days. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can really say the best is yet to come. Jesus is coming again. This is not all there is. There is hope. There's a brighter day. There's a tomorrow. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Hey, I've got a secret. Jesus is coming again. That's the same Jesus that you read about in Scripture. Jesus, born of a virgin. Jesus, who lived a perfect and sinless life, yet died on a criminal's cross. Jesus, who raised from the dead three days later, and just 40 days after that, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Scripture teaches that Jesus is coming again. That's a core tenet of our Christian faith. You can disagree and debate about the how. We don't know the when. We know the why. It's to take us back. But this we know. Jesus is coming again. This is mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament. That means one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament of the Bible is about this truth. That's why the theologian G. Campbell Morgan would say to me, the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. I never lay my head on the pillow without thinking that perhaps before the morning breaks, the final morning may have dawned. I never begin my work without thinking that he may interrupt my work and begin his own. The Bible speaks of the second coming of Jesus. His return is promised. Jesus said in John 14, verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. It's the promised return of Jesus. But not only that, we know also that his return will be physical. As Jesus ascended into heaven, The angels looked at those gathered there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, and they said this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taking up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go again. But we know not only that. We know that his coming will be personal. Paul said to young Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's personal, but his becoming is also purposeful. It's purposeful. Listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. What's the purpose? He's coming to get his church. He's coming to take us home. That's why Paul said in the next verse, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let me tell you something else. When Jesus returns, it's going to be prominent. 
You're not going to miss it. Everybody's going to see it. He says in Matthew 24, 27, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of man. But none of us know when that's going to take place. In that sense, the return of Jesus is somewhat a puzzle. He said in Matthew 24, verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Though we may not understand it, Scripture teaches that God the Father is going to look one day to the Son and say, It's time. Go get the church. Bring them home. So what do we do? We wait. (laughs) We wait. And James was writing to a church in the midst of the wait. Remember who James is, the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine how he longed to see Jesus? He began to follow Christ after the resurrection. That's when it clicked for him. That's when it got it. It was at that moment that he realized, oh, Jesus, my brother is my God. Many of us have seen loved ones go on to heaven before us, and and we long to see them. Can you imagine James, just a couple of decades later, longing to see his brother again? You ever find yourself longing to see Jesus? 25 years in ministry, I've noticed that it's usually the dark days, the tough times that we long to see Jesus. It's a senior saint whose spouse has gone on to be with the Lord. And they say, I just want to go home. It's at a moment of depression and discouragement when we think we just want to be with Jesus because we understand there's something about that heavenly time out. There's something about placing a pause on the pain and the problems of life. When life's good and everything's going our way, we're not longing for heaven. But when the going gets tough, we're ready to get going. So James writes these words to the church. He was there when that verse was spoke that we read in Acts 1 verse 11. He was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He knew what that looked like. He was ready for him to come again. And with that in mind, he said this in James chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 7, he says, the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, he says, the coming of the Lord. Verse 9, he says, the judge is standing at the door. Speaking of the return of Christ, it's a word parousia, which literally means to be with or to come alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's the parousia. He comes alongside us. So the truth is, James I believe could be speaking to the literal second coming of Jesus, but he could be referring to the need that believers had, those followers of Christ had, to recognize the presence of Christ right where they were. Remember what was taking place, not unlike the day we live in. The church had been scattered. Some of the church was being persecuted. And James was saying, don't forget that the Lord is with you. The great theologian Barclay said the best way to prepare for the coming of Christ is to remember the presence of Christ. So what was James' point? Let me tell it to you, and then we need to pray because this is a biggie. James was simply saying to Christ's followers, 
you need to learn to celebrate the wait. To celebrate in those waiting moments, the waiting rooms, the waiting times of life. But that's not easy. So let's ask God to help us as we try to apply this to our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, we say thank you. We thank you for your perfect word, which speaks to us, though written many years ago, inspired by your spirit, pierces our heart today. So teach us what we don't know. Give us what we don't have. Make us what we've not yet become. Use this moment for your glory in our lives. God, I would pray, as I have prayed, that today you would allow someone to enter into forever salvation, a relationship with you, because we gather here. But Lord, we also know that there will be many who just need to be reminded through these words that you are with them. They're your children, they follow you, they live for you, and yet, God, they need to be reminded of your presence in the waiting room. So help us, Lord. Lord, and I would pray once again that the words of my mouth and even the thoughts that I say would be pleasing to you, my strength, my redeemer, and I ask this in your name. Amen. Now that you know where we're headed, let's look at this again because it's God's word that has power. It's God's word that's going to help you. Let's read it again. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. I've been to Israel, the Holy Land. James was speaking of something that they would understand. There's a rainy season. That rainy season takes place in two different times of the year. Much of the year is a dry season. June through about October is a dry season in the Holy Land. It's a desert region. But there is a early rain that's going to take place kind of in that October, November time period. And then there's a later rain in April and May. And James was saying, whether it's in the early rain or the later rain, you be patient. You also be patient, establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James is going to do something, and we're going to unpack this, that we need to understand every time we open the Bible, God's given us his word so that we might see his work. When we read these stories, it's not so that we can worship the men and the women and the stories and scriptures, but that we might worship the God who worked in their lives. So he said, look at the prophets. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of one of life's waiting times? It was literally one year ago today that I found myself in that situation. 
I'd received the call that my dad, who had had a stroke just a few days earlier, had now received a bleed on his brain, and he was being taken into critical care. A friend of mine flew to Tampa. He flew me back. I got in his truck, and about 2 in the morning, I arrived there on September 13th to be with my dad. He couldn't talk to me. He couldn't respond. I didn't know what the future would hold. And the truth is, neither did the doctors. They would simply say that the next several hours would be critical. It would turn out that for the next eight months, we were in the waiting room. There would be good moments. There would be very tough moments. But we would wait. And waiting is difficult. How do you celebrate in that kind of wait? Maybe you're in one of life's waiting rooms today. Maybe someone you love is in a similar setting, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's your own health, and you're waiting to see, will God give you healing, or is this your call home? Maybe it's you're waiting for that love of your life. You're waiting for your career to bring fulfillment to your life. You're waiting for financial provision, clarity about your future waiting. This is our place in life, isn't it? That's what James is trying to say, that all of life is a balance. We're balancing living between the not yet and the already. Those things that I've already experienced, I've already know, I I already understand, and those things that have not yet happened. How do you celebrate the wait in those days? James is saying, first, you have to be patient as you celebrate the wait. Patience. Everyone understands our love-hate relationship with patience, right? We all want it, but we don't want to ask for it. We fear what may happen if we ask God to teach us patience. James is using a word that literally means to be long-fused. Think about that. We don't use that descriptive term in our everyday language, but that's what James is saying. We do understand what it means when someone is short-fused, right? So he was saying, be long-fused, be long-tempered, be patient. We live in a short-fused society. We're not very patient. Though we come from people that used to walk where they went and ride horses at best, we now are discontent if we get caught in traffic in our automobiles or the plane doesn't arrive quick enough. We're not patient. Though we used to be impressed when the printing became a reality and we could read a book, Now we fast forward even as we're watching TV. We live in an on-demand society. And yet God's word tells us to be patient. It's hard, isn't it? Especially in traffic. It doesn't matter if we're moving, if we're not moving fast enough. If the person in front of us is not doing what we want them to do. We're impatient. James says, while you wait, Be patient. Easy for him to say, right? But he gives us an illustration. He talks about a farmer. James may have been a farmer before he was a pastor or as he was a pastor. 
It's something that every one of his readers could understand and something we can understand. We came through kindergarten. In kindergarten, you had to put the seed in the styrofoam cup, right? And, and you learned that when you put that seed in the styrofoam cup and, and when you went to class every day, if it was Miss Floyd's class, you'd go to Miss Floyd's class, you'd put water in that styrofoam cup where the seed was sitting in the dirt. And over time, it may take a few weeks, it may even take a couple of months, but you would see something green begin to sprout. James was talking about the farmer. Why? Because the farmer teaches us that waiting is not just about what you get at the end. It's about what you become in the process. James is saying, as you consider the the farmer and how they celebrate what God is allowing them to produce through his creative work, remember that in your life. Remember that God is at work that he's doing something you may not understand, you may not see his plan, you may not can even trace his hand, but trust him. The farmers learn to be patient, to celebrate the wait. He first says, be patient, but then he says, be prepared so you can celebrate the wait. Now, this is going to sound redundant. Notice what he says in verse 8, you also be patient. Do you get it? Verse 7, be patient. Just like the farmer's patient, you be patient. And you also be patient. Why is he saying that? Well, because we're stubborn, because we're thick-headed, we don't understand it. He knew we would need to be reminded of the importance of patience. And he uses a little different word. He uses a word that means to be steadfast. See, James knew that waiting exposes a battle that's taking place between weakness and doubt, a war that's being controlled over our hearts. So he would say, be steadfast in your heart. Do the heart work so that when you go through life's waiting times, you're not caught unprepared. It's the same reason that Paul would say in Galatians, let us not grow weary of doing well, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up as we wait. So how do we make our hearts stronger? That word steadfast also means to strengthen your position. How how do you make sure you're standing strong? You're prepared so when that wave, that tsunami comes your way and you're knocked off your feet because you've got a health diagnosis you don't understand or you've got a work loss situation that you weren't expected or you've got a marital crisis that you didn't see coming. How do you do that? Well, basically, James was saying, get in the book. Learn from what God's already given you. Specifically, learn from the prophets. What did the prophets teach us? They taught us that you can celebrate the weight. Why don't you say celebrate the weight? Just think about it. We can go back all the way to Noah. Noah knew there was going to be a flood, but he had to wait. God told Abraham as an old man, you're going to have a baby, but he had to wait. God promised Moses that he would get to go to the promised land. But he had to wait. Ruth, Ruth desperately wanted a husband, but she had to wait. Hosea, Hosea was in this conflict in his relationship with an adulterous wife, but he was trying to trust God. But in the midst of that trusting, he had to wait. Jeremiah the prophet was thrown down into a well. And in the bottom of the well, he trusted to God, but he had to wait. Daniel, I was reading early this morning, Daniel was placed in the king's palace in this position of prominence and importance. But he saw his friends get get thrown into a fiery furnace and, and he was thrown into a lion's den. And we find himself in this place where he had to wait. They waited 
but they strengthened their position as they waited. Their hearts grew stronger as they saw how God would work in the midst of their waiting time. And how do we know it? We know it because they witnessed as they waited. What if part of your strengthening as you go through these difficult times is an opportunity for God to use your story for his glory? We have a story to tell, right? What if that's how God is preparing you? What if that's what he's doing? They just talked about God even more. What if you went through the problems of life, you found yourself in that waiting time, and that made you just focus on Jesus more than you've ever had? That makes sense. Think about the prophets. But James knew they needed to get more specific. So uh, he said, and remember Job? Job is described as being steadfast. So you, I want you to be prepared. I want you to get steadfast, to be strong in your heart. Well, look at Job. What happened with Job? Well, the Bible says that a conversation took place in the heavenlies. The enemy, the father of lies, Satan himself, Lucifer, the devil, he went before God. And before God, he asked for permission. See, just remember, even Satan knows his place in the eternal perspective. He asked for permission to test Job's faith. He was basically saying to God, hey, this man, Job, they say he's righteous. There's none like him. But I'm just telling you, he's just acting that way because he's got it so good. Same thing you hear today. Some people, boy, if I had what they had, then I would live like they lived. I I would be better too. But God said, okay, give it a shot. Just don't take his life. And so he did, man. He, He took everything from Job. Do you remember the story? He took his kids, he took his, his wife, he, he, took, he took everything from Job, his fortune. But what did Job do? Job one twenty one said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right? He said it once. Is that steadfast? Well, let's see what happened as this continue. Look at Job 13.5. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue in my ways to his face. What does he say? Hey, I may not understand this. I may struggle with God. I may be one who wrestles with God. But I don't care what happens. I'm going to place my hope in him. What a testimony. What if you said that? What if that was your posture in waiting where you said, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't want this. I want this to go away. However, my hope is in you. You have not failed me. You are there. You're still at work. I sense your presence. And so he he goes on. What does he say in Job 19, verse 25? For I know my Redeemer lives. And at last he'll stand on the earth. James was saying to Christians, people like many of us, he was saying, hey, live in such a way that no matter the circumstance of your life, you can say, I know it, I know it, I know my Redeemer lives. What else could Satan do? The only thing left he could take from Job was his life. The only thing left for Job was to die. But that wasn't going to happen. You know why? Because God has a, had his hand on the thermostat. He was controlling how hot it was going to be. He was in charge of the temperature. Same thing's true in your life. You can trust him because regardless of the circumstance, he is in control. James was trying to say, you don't need 20-20 vision. You need 50-20 vision. You know what 50-20 vision is? It's the story of Joseph. He's another one of those that God gave a dream, but he had to wait. 
And so in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive just as they are today. 50-20 vision. James is saying, you need 8-28 vision. You know what that is? That's Paul's message in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. He's saying, you look into the word and you figure out how to make it through these tough times. How do you celebrate the wait? You get prepared and know that you're not going to doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You're not going to trade what you know for things you don't know. You're going to trust him. James was letting us know that Job believed in both the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God. If you read that whole book, you'll find out that his waiting was messy, but he waited. And your waiting moments may get west messy. They, they may be filled with doubt and seasons of discouragement. But ask God to make you steadfast so that you can wait. What is steadfast? It's active obedience as you wait. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.